Welcome to the Inside Data Center podcast. I'm Andy Davis, and in this podcast, I will interview the people working in the data center sector and tell their stories. If you are working in the DC sector or you are looking to work in the sector, then this is the podcast for you. Welcome to the Inside Data Center podcast. Today, I'm joined by Mohammed Khan, who's the studio director for Stephen George and Partners. Good morning, Mohammed. Uh, good morning, Andy. Hope all is well. All is well. Happy New Year. Uh, happy New Year to you too. I still feel like I should be saying Happy New Year to people, <laughs> even though we're in, in week two. Yeah, yeah. I think, um, it's, I think Christmas is a memory now for a lot of us. That's it, exactly, yeah. A very distant memory, I totally agree. Thanks for coming on. Obviously, it's great to have someone from the, you know, sort of the architectural side of the industry to get an idea about that element of, of the sector, which is not something that I've covered to date. So I'm really looking forward to the conversation. Do you just want to give everyone a quick introduction of kind of who you are and, and what you're doing in your current role at the moment? Yeah. Um, so um, just just a kind of a brief introduction. Um, you could probably tell from my, my accent that I'm from Scotland. Um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, born and bred in Scotland um, from Glasgow. And uh, I came down to London um, around 2008, 2009. And so I got my kind of qualification um, uh, in, in Glasgow and um, I was kind of involved in practice there for a few years. Um, you know, the, the market obviously in the southeast is a lot probably better than anywhere in, in, in the in the UK. So I decided to kind of move down to London, um, kind of explore my opportunities. It was always a, a temporary move for me. Um, when, I, when I did move down, I said to my parents, uh, mum and dad, six months to a year let's see how it goes and uh, then I'll come back up and it's been 12 years um, <laughs> still there. So, yeah still, still here um, and yeah I mean uh, I've been I've been practicing since uh, you know 2002 2003 um, currently working uh, for, for a company called uh, Stephen Jordan Partners um, it's a we've a chartered practice we've been uh, established for over 51 years uh, in the AJ top 100 um, we've got a few offices around the UK. Um, our kind of head office is in, is in Leicester. I've uh, got an office in Leeds, Birmingham, Soleho, and one in London now. So I, I've came in as their kind of studio director, uh, uh, kind of looking to expand the various sectors that we, we kind of work in. So we tend to get involved in nearly everything, like, you know, from commercial interiors to, you know, data centers, which I'm kind of leading. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, it's exciting uh, times. I mean, my, my transition from my last job um, to Stephen George was working from home. So I'm still working from home uh, yeah. as a majority of us are. And uh, so nothing's really changed except for my, for my email. So it feels like everything's the same. The same office is your, is your house. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I've been working from my, my second bedroom. So that's my... My kind of new, new well, it's my office now. Uh, try not to use the word new now, because um, it's almost been a year. But um, yeah. but yeah, I mean, I'm working. So, so I'm better off than a few a few people at the moment because a lot of um, my colleagues are kind of working uh, from the dining table or from the coffee table. So I've I've got that blessing where I've got a dedicated space that I can kind of lock myself away and call my. Kind of Mohammed's office sort of thing, so uh, which is it. good. 
yeah definitely helps excellent what, what i always like to do is sort of go back to the beginning just to get an idea of how you, you you came into your industry really so you mentioned that you you obviously studied architecture at, um, in glasgow but was it something you always wanted to get into um i think from, from, from always uh, i mean i mean uh, what my background was that um my my uh from my mother's side and my dad's side they were kind of very kind of artistic uh, my uh, uncle was a draftsman, and my uh, my, uh, my mother's dad, my, my nana was um, he he was a painter and decorator, but he was also into kind of fine art as well, as he he had a degree in fine art. So just kind of looking at that kind of artistic side from my mother and my dad's side got me drawing early as the age of four or five. Um, I. Remember, I won an art competition at the age of ten um, at the Kelvin Grove Art Galleries, uh, which is uh, a really big art gallery in Glasgow. And uh, so I won, I won an art competition there, and uh, I was the only one in the school um, that, that won one. So a few of us entered. So, you know, um, at the age of ten, my parents kind of supported my decision of getting into architecture or wanting to be an architect. The thing is, when I decided at the age of 10, uh, I never knew what an architect did. <laughs> I, I actually just thought it was someone that would get involved in designing buildings and get just paid loads of money for it, yeah. uh, which is not reality. Um, and, uh, you know, my parents kind of, coming from an Asian background, they wanted to promote me to get into medicine or engineering. They were like, you know, become an engineer um, or or get get into kind of medicine and be, be a doctor but but you know um c- coming f- coming from uh, kind of an asian background um i was kind of supportive of, of my decision and uh yeah you know I, I just got into architecture you know picked the relevant subjects let that kind of dictate my my kind of course and uh yeah i got you know i got got into architecture and, and you know what it, it's a seven-year course so it's not something that you know after four years you can start working it, it takes a long time um and i and i kind of um studied the traditional way you know i did my my four years um in scotland and then i took my one year out work experience which was really difficult because when you're studying an architecture as a part one you're not designing buildings you're actually just doing drawing amendments and you know yeah, for the first sure. week i i remember i was just folding drawings folding drawings for, for planning applications you're thinking um, this is this is not what i want yeah this is not what i signed up for <laughs> yeah i mean that's that's the thing it's not what i signed up for but uh, for, for me it was all experience uh, you know bad experience is always uh, you know you take the blessings out of the bad experience and uh for me it was it was good experience and and um uh, you know i i what i can say that i really worked hard and uh i got into you know larger projects so you know i've uh, at that time, around 2002, 2003, the, the retail was booming. You know, yeah. uh, the retail market was was booming, and um, you know the housing market was booming as well. So, you know, I got into a lot of kind of retail uh, projects and learned a, a lot of kind of uh, client facing skills and coordination and things like that. And you know, I got the opportunity at, at a very early age to be involved in meetings, uh, whereas. Um, a lot of part ones and part twos get pigeonholed, uh, you know, just in front of a desk. So, 
So I was lucky to kind of get involved in a lot of meetings and, you know, uh, getting my voice heard as well, sort of thing. So that that was good, you know. And then, you know, you, you, you just kind of take what you can from, from, from the project, you know, if it's successful or unsuccessful, and you just take the good from it. And yeah. that's what I've done. Definitely. And when did you first get exposure to data centres? Was it quite quite far on in your career? Um, it's, I think um, it's probably been around eight years or so now. Um, I mean, I it, it, the exposure kind of came when, when you know when I when I got into practicing in, in London. You know, I got I started off getting into the kind of logistics and di- uh, distribution um, sure, sector. Yeah. So I, I got involved in a lot of kind of warehouse, and from there it kind of led into the the kind of co-location um, set up. So uh, again, it wasn't the most exciting uh, sector to kind of look at. And I think a lot of people don't know much about the sector. Um, and, and it's just one of the reasons why, I mean, being new to SUP, I I set up a, a CPD workshop for the entire office. Now we, we've got 91 strong at the moment. So, you know, setting up a CPD for, for close to 100 people is, is a big task and talking about data centers for one hour is quite challenging sure. you know you want to keep everyone entertained and not kind of nod off so so for me it was you know bringing kind of all that i'd learned from scotland like you know the coordination the client facing so and kind of implementing that in the data center so you know i i started getting more and more involved in the kind of sector and starting to enjoy it and i, and I feel it's very in my opinion, very rewarding. And uh, I mean, one of the things I do like to do is kind of get involved in mentoring and education. So it's all, I think it's all about kind of educating the client and explain to them, you know, it's not just pushing a button. Things just don't appear. You know, um, it takes a lot more involvement. And what I find with architects is that we are undervalued. I mean, we, we go through seven years of, of studying and rigorous uh, academic uh, you know education uh, we it's we usually are the first ones in and the last ones out so we shouldn't be treated as a drafting tool yeah, um, sure. you know there's a lot more involved certainly in, in data centers uh, like you know planning and building regs and stuff like that so yeah, yeah I read an article actually um, that said about how sort of architects now are kind of more prominent in the data center industry than they were. Have you noticed that? Obviously, you've been if you've been involved in it for around eight years, you've probably noticed the the role of the architect change throughout that period. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, a lot of the the kind of um, the work that I've done in the UK are all DNB um, design and build contracts. Yeah, so sure. you know, we, we you kind of get appointed by the the the, the data center provider, uh, and then you get weighted across, and, and you work for the contractor. So we never, unfortunately, and not to get too into legal terms, but we're never known as the architect contractually. We're always known as the consultant. There is a difference between the two. You know, an architect tends to bring in a lot more responsibility. And I think nowadays it's all about liability and risk. You know, um, because it's been a very niche market, there's there's a lot more risk to, to, to everyone. Um, what I find is that as architects, you know, we should be the first ones in and we should be the last ones out. Although um, there are specialist design involvement from, you know, the M&E or the structural engineer or, you know, the specialist client where he'll have kind of bespoke service requirements or UPS room requirements. 
the architect should ultimately be in there and start coordinating everything. We should be involved. Um, you know, what I find is that the M&E consultant will put his buzz bars or his rooms in any location and not really think about much about, you know, is it going to clash with the steels? Is, how, how does that, you know, put, putting himself in, in the end user's shoes and, and how, how, will he, how, how will he operate this building? And then one of the things that I find the consultant that's quite detached from the project is the principal designer. You know, it all comes down to health and safety um, maintenance as well. Like, you know, once you do, you know, build this data centre, how is it going to run? How is it going to be maintained? You know, what is the lifespan of that data centre in terms of, you know, renewing the materials or replacing the materials or, you know, expanding it or the flexibility of it or of it growing? So. So these things all have to be considered, I think, as early as design stage. And I think that's why it's important that, that, that we do come in uh, early. I mean, what I do find is that the m and &E tend to lead a lot of these jobs. Um, yeah, sure. No, but, I totally you know, agree. It's, yeah. It tends to be. Cool. Yeah. Um, they always, I think it's just the volume of M&E in it is, kind of tends to lead, doesn't it? But that's why I was interested to see how it's evolved because when I'm speaking to clients and, and, and people like yourself now, there definitely seems to be a lot more involvement at the at the architect stage than there was yeah. previously, which is exactly what you've yeah. just talked about. And somebody also mentioned around the, I think it was on one of my podcasts, I think it was Matt Gurr mentioned about human-centric design, about the design of a building for the people actually working in them, which was never really considered until yeah. fairly recently. I think. Yeah, I, I think one of the things that... Um, idea that I'm trying to promote is well-being as well. Um, even yeah. though these are kind of shed-esque buildings, um, you have to think of the user and the well-being side of things. Um, yeah, so that, and that's, that's exactly, I think, yeah, and that's that's exactly my point, I guess. I think like, it's quite interesting you said you came into it after exposure to like the distribution, the warehouse. That's, that's the perception that a lot of people have of a data center, isn't it, from a design element? Oh, it's just yeah. a shed or it's just a warehouse. And now they're not. They're changed massively. You know, some of the buildings that are being built now are, you know, amazing. You've got multi-story data centers. You've got data centers in, you know, underground. You've got data centers underwater. <laughs> the, the whole principle of a facility has changed significantly. And a lot of that, I guess, goes back to the initial design and the client coming to you and saying, this is what we want. How can you make it different or more yeah. aesthetically pleasing or yeah. more unique and also at the same time consider that there are people working in there which some people forget as well yeah i mean what what i found is i've, I've done a lot of data centers in the west of london i mean slow trading estates is one of the biggest campuses <laughs> yeah, in the exactly. uk or europe uh, kind of uh, slow west eastern side and uh, now what i find is with planning applications uh, the planner would kind of ultimately put in as a condition that you know you have to look at a more kind of a sustainable design so we tend to implement you know the addition of of active and passive car charging points um you know uh, bicycle um, racks cycle storage um we also look at uh, sustainable green walls as well so you've got the kind of hanging vegetation as well yeah um that, that kind of makes the the grace building a lot more pretty to look at as well um, so yeah, the planners the planners are implementing these kind of obligations to the, to the client. But then I think the client should also think about you know it, that it has to look aesthetically pleasing as well. It is encouraging and and it's really nice to see uh, in the magazines where you have these data centres 
that are in the outskirts of 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 uh, London. You know, there's one in uh, in Cambridge where uh, they use the kind of greenish gantry, uh, yeah. and they've they've added some lighting, and it makes it look a, a, a lot more aesthetically pleasing as well. And I think these are the kind of implementations that we have to take take into account. Um, I guess it helps from your perspective that they're not as hidden now either. You know, they were they were built in a way that you didn't know what they were, weren't they? Like you mentioned Slough, and you've only got to go to Slough, and there's numerous warehouses. Some of them are data centres, but they all look the same. You know, whereas yeah, I guess now that data centre industry is coming a bit more to the fore, they're not as and they're not as afraid of people knowing that it's a data centre, which helps you from a design element. Yeah, I think what I'm finding, and this is something that I'm looking at, uh, you know, with the fusion of the logistics and the data center sector, is that I, I can see that um, the end user is wanting to be closer to the data center now as well. So, and the thing is that, um, how how do you kind of answer that question? You know, you're bringing, we're bringing data centers now into the city. Now, we, we know with uh, FLAP, um, these cities are so uh, dense, at the yeah. moment. So how do you accommodate uh, a data center into the city? So we've seen, uh, you know, uh, old retail parks um, that are not being used because customers are now doing a lot of online shopping. So you don't need the the, the large kind of retail parks in the city. Um, they're getting bought by data center providers. You're looking at old car park sites that are getting bought by data center providers as well. So, when you, so, so you can't just, you know, plug uh, a gray shed in the city. Of London, you know, you have yeah. to look at the four elements of, of of what it's facing, who's looking at the site, and what do you see from the site as well. So, I think it'll be very interesting to see how that goes because I think the the data center in the city will be will look a lot different from what you see in Slough or, you know, in in, in Cambridge, for example. Uh, and that and and I think that's interesting because that's where the architect will be a lot more involved uh, in terms of planning as well. So. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I was going to say that to you about the, you know the future. How do you see it evolving? And and that makes total sense to me that you know the land is obviously a lot harder to get, and it's going to be in areas like you say that are probably not the norm in a lot of the cities um, because the yeah, even areas like Slough, there's only an infinite amount of land there, isn't there, and an infinite amount of power. So they got to start looking yeah. to other regions, and other regions will have different demands because, like you say, it could be that it's in a in a city centre yeah. or in a suburb that doesn't have a facility like that. Yeah, I mean, what what I've found is, I mean, with Slow, for example, Slow have got an agreement with uh, an end user where it's it's called SPZ, so they've got the simplified planning zone, whereas, you know, a, a major planning application can take up to 13 weeks to get, get sign-off. Uh, what I've found with the, the data centre in Slough, it can take up to two to four weeks. Right. So it's a lot quicker process. Uh, you know, they have their parameters and send in terms of envelope size, height, punch height, um, you know, red height example. So as long as you meet those that criteria under the SPZ, you can get your um, data center rollout a lot quicker. So that saves time as well. Maybe, you know, certain parts of the London borough might consider that inside of London. Um, so maybe they might do that. So you know, it, it brings in the, the provider a lot quicker. Uh, I see it, it will bring money into the city as well with construction and jobs as well. I mean, there are low occupying buildings, but I, what I see is that um, if, the, if, the, if the end user wants to be a lot closer, you know, I, I've seen these kind of uh, modular systems as well being used in the city. 
so these, these you know these kind of uh, modular edge systems can be on top of a car park they can be you know behind the building and a basement you know we're even seeing being in the north sea as well um, yeah, underwater and you know using submarine t- uh, technology so so i think it's uh it's a growing technology at the moment and it's a bit like you know it where you think you've got the latest laptop then three months down the line someone has doubled the spec so um and i think what we the only thing we can do is just kind of you know try our best on a daily basis and keep up to date but i think the sector is growing very fast uh certainly uh, in, in in this area of london you know uh, even artificial intelligence I, I find that you know that's something that that we're kind of looking into as well you know uh, intelligent cities smart cities sort of thing so so there's a lot happening uh, i think architecturally yeah. yeah, and I think, and also, like we always, I always say it, and obviously the last twelve months, like, like we were talking about earlier, it's made such a big impact on on the on our lives, but also on the industry. You know, it's been a game changer for the industry, and that makes it a lot harder to keep up because it's changing so quickly. The demand is so high that you, you can't keep up. Really, it's pretty much impossible to know what's going on and what tech's coming in and. The, the bigger conglomerates are obviously investing significant money into trying to advance everything, expedite construction. So everything's changing probably too quickly at the moment. It will settle down hopefully in probably the next two years, but at the moment it must be nearly impossible for people like yourself to actually keep up with what's going on. Yeah, I mean the thing is obviously the, your first point would be, you know, on, on the internet. I mean, the internet tends to give you a lot of information, but for me it's always maintaining that communication uh, with your client, uh, you know, whether it's your end user, your occupier or your consultants, just keep keep that relationship. You know, one of, one of the things that, that, that my mentor said to me quite some time ago was never chase work, always build relations. Yeah. Um, and through that relation, you get work. So I think that um, if you have that relation with, with your kind of peers and your contacts, uh, then knowledge gets shared. I mean, I, I live in a knowledge sharing environment. So because I do a lot of external and internal mentoring, I do talk a lot to my colleagues, uh, do talk a lot to my consultants. And through that relation, you, you learn, you know, someone will say to you that, oh, you know, we're now using hydrogen generators or whatever it is, you know, mm-hmm. so we're lowering the carbon footprint. So, you know, I, I know nothing about that. So it kind of gets you interested and then you start reading up on it. You can mention to your client, you know, we can save you this money uh, on procurement or whatever it is. So I think it's always good to kind of just keep in touch. And uh, certainly in these kind of times, you know, uh, where you can't just go out and meet someone over lunch or a cup of coffee, you know, you're, you're kind of always, you, I find that you're talking a lot more as well on, on Teams and, uh, you know, on Zoom. So, uh, so yeah, I think, I think for me it would be just keep communicating and, and just, just keep yeah just keep communicating and just understanding how how we can help each other and share share knowledge and from from that i think that helps to to kind of keep up to date with the market i think yeah definitely and i I always say it as well and i do find myself repeating myself i think a lot on these but everyone in the industry that i speak to is really open to doing it as well to sharing knowledge and you know i regularly get asked by various different people oh do you know anybody that i could talk to about this or do you know somebody that's an expert in this and, and everyone's really open to talking and, and sharing that knowledge which is really important one thing i wanted yeah. to talk to you about as well is obviously yeah. you've mentioned it a few times is your mentoring and that side of it you know i'm yeah. 
obviously yeah. a big advocate. One of the reasons I started this was to try and um, share more information and attract more people into the you know into this industry, but also hopefully into other you know engineering or construction type roles. But do you think there's anything particular you know we need to do more of to really push that? mentoring sort of developing sharing element of of the industry um i mean i i got into mentoring just it wasn't something that i said i would get into mentoring it just happened by chance um, yeah i think i think that tends yeah. to be the way doesn't it? it's one of the and that, i guess that's yeah. partly my point you know like there's a lot of people out there that say to me oh, i'd happily mentor people and there's a lot of people that probably need mentors it's trying to work out how I guess we can meet in the middle somewhere. Yeah, I mean, I, I've always looked at, you know, there's two elements. Um, I find that, you know, for example, it was coaching. Coaching, it seems very kind of a professional term. And yeah. it's something that someone comes in as a consultant and gets paid. Whereas mentoring, it's kind of like voluntary. That's what I've, that's the way I've looked at it. Um, for me, it was like, you know, when I joined uh, a practice in London, uh, my interviewer just said, look, we've got a part two student. Would you like to mentor him and do his, uh, you know, architectural PDR sheets? I, I said, fine, you know, let, let's, let's go for it. I, I was doing it anyway, so I, I, I kind of happily accepted. From that one person, it changed into seven people. Yeah, uh, It's a big task, you know, when you're managing uh, part of an office and then, you know, um, mentoring seven people. Uh, I think for me, it was, um, again, it was knowledge here. You know, there's a lot I think you can learn from your juniors. What I find is that when you come out of university, you're full of that kind of enthusiasm and flair. Uh, you're not restricted to the planning or the building regulation guidelines. So you're not kind of in those four, in that four-sided box. And um, you, you're a lot more open to ideas and exploring uh, new methods. Uh, of working so I think our higher tier can learn from from the lower tiers and I and I don't and I think that mentoring is not for everyone it all comes down to you know do you have that compatibility with that person as well because you have to be a very kind of knowledge sharing people's person I mean you can be really good at your job but you might find it difficult to explain certain tasks to, to your to your colleagues and I, and I think that's a skill on its own. It's it's very difficult. I, I find sometimes, you know, it being very difficult because you don't, you just don't have to, you don't have to just deal, have to deal with the, the daily kind of professional tasks. Sometimes there's external problems that you have to talk to your, your, your mentee or, or, or mentor about as well. Um, so, so I think a lot of that uh, you have to take into account and, what I find with mentoring is that um, you're almost kind of like on standby. Um, you know, if, if your mentee um, kind of texts you uh, and says, look, you know, I need help on something, then you have to be available. You have to listen. And I find a lot of the, the higher tiers are just too busy to listen. So that's, yeah. that's important. You have to listen. I didn't have, I mean, I had a few mentors in my, in my experience, but, I remember, you know, when I was doing my exam, uh, I, I struggled to to find the right mentor. So what what I'm trying to do is that the the gaps that I had in growing as an architect, I'm just trying to make sure that others don't have that as well. So what I didn't get, you know, I'm trying to uh, yeah. give back back to the youngsters. Yeah. 
No, I think it's great that, that people like yourself do. I totally agree that it's, everything boils down to time, doesn't it, at the end of the day? You know, the, the want can be there, but if you haven't got the time to do it, it, it makes it very difficult. And and I guess if you haven't got the, if you're probably like myself and probably like you are, if you do it, you want to commit to it. You don't want to be, oh, sorry, I'm, you know, I'm a bit busy at the moment. Can you <laughs> Can you call me tomorrow? You know, you want to be committed to doing it. I guess maybe there's some there's something in there around creating some kind of platform where people can kind of upload their knowledge and people can log in and view it and share it. There, there must be some way of of getting more information from experts like yourself to the younger generation that want to either want to join the industry or are in the industry already. Yeah, I mean that's. Um, I, th- I think yeah. I, I think what I'm finding is that um, because it's a very competitive market as well. A lot of people find, uh, I mean, I certainly did when I was at university, you kind of don't kind of show people your, your ideas and your design. Um, this, this is at you know, university level. But obviously, I've kind of grown out of that now. For me, it's, you know, if someone uh, takes a part of my design or my idea and passes it on, then, you know, the job's half done. That, yeah. I think that's what's what's all about. And I think it's educating the youngsters that, you know, it's not me, 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 it's us. We're all in this together. Uh, I mean, just as an example, I I do a lot of uh, mentoring with uh, London South Bank University and Kingston University as well um, through the RIBA. And uh, we've got this uh, Reba student mentoring program that runs uh, every year. And we've got a program where, you know, I sit down with the students as a group, then individually sit down with them. And the student contacted me over the weekend and said, look, um, I need to speak to you about my LinkedIn page. I need to speak to you about how how I can better myself in terms of finding a job in the summer. Now, it was kind of not part of the agenda. You know, the agenda was to meet the group, then meet them individually. But, you know, I didn't say to that person, look, we can do it in a couple of weeks. I yeah. felt it was important for that to talk to that person then. Um, so, because the thing is that you have to put yourself in, in their shoes that, that maybe something it's not urgent to you but it's urgent to them and it takes a bit of stress off them so so i think time yeah time is very important and 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 i don't want to generalize it by saying this but i just think that no one is too busy everyone has got time it's it's all about prioritizing what's important so i think and uh yeah i think i think you know programming prioritizing and you know uh making time for others is is important yeah I think, and if if everybody helped one person, you know, that would be enough, wouldn't it? You know, it's not you're not talking about you know everybody needs to yeah. do the volume that you probably do. And if everybody helped one person, either get into the industry or develop within the industry, then you know we we double the amount of <laughs> we double the, the amount of people we have. Yeah, and we'll be definitely a lot more productive. Um, you know, because we we are the the kind of uh, uh, you know we're we're in our peak at the moment in terms of. Uh, you know professionalism and pr- performance uh we have to look out for the future you know we're, we're we're showing that in our projects by uh future-proofing our projects we should be doing that to our, our up-and-coming professionals as well yeah definitely yeah and do you do you think sort of specifically with data centers is it now at a level where if you're a, an architect and you want to get into the industry you can become a specialist in data centers or is it still that the majority of architects would be involved in, say, data center projects and pharmaceutical and commercial? 
Um, see, the thing is that what, what I'm finding at the moment is that because uh, data centers still come under the, the industrial bracket uh, in terms of planning use, you know, it still comes under the B2, B, B8, which is the office distribution uh, storage. It needs to be recognized more in planning terms. Um, even in building regs, you know, uh, the, the approved inspector will say to you that, well, maybe we can do this, maybe we can do that, because there's never uh, in the approved, uh, you know, document something set in black and white uh, for data centres. You would find it a lot in other sectors. So yeah. I think I think it should be more, uh, I think the planners and the building uh, control officers should be more aware of that. And then slowly it should spill into the academic side of things where, you know, we should be talking about this because I think that the more um, IT usage and the more, um, you know, cloud-based our uh, requirements are, are going to be, um, um, data centers will be expanding a lot more, you know, in the next five to 10, 20 years. Um, so it's something that should be learned quite early on. But unfortunately, what I find is certainly when I graduated, um, the academic side of things doesn't prepare you for practice life. You know, like I said that, you know, when I um, got my first job, I was folding drawings uh, <laughs> for the first week, which, you know, your university don't teach you that. So it's something that's you slowly get into, you know, whether it's residential or commercial or interiors. What I find is that um, it's up to the, the kind of top tier management to educate the youngsters coming in uh, about these sectors. I mean, when I when I did my RABA mentoring, uh, I remember last year uh, before the lockdown when uh, a few students came over to our office, they didn't know what data centres were. Hmm. And so I did a presentation, 15-minute presentation with them. And... Uh, the two, two of the three, two of out of the three, didn't felt like they didn't want to do architecture after their part one. They wanted to get into another another field, but after the the presentation, they said to me, Mohammed, we want to get into architecture, and we want to look at data centers, because just the way we kind of tailored it for them, uh, saying that you know this is a sector that's growing, it's one of the few recession proof sectors. And, you know, there's a lot more to it than just sheds. You know, there's a lot more architecture involved. And I think that's what we have to we have to do. We just have to go back to basics and start educating the youngsters. So I think. Yeah, I couldn't agree more on that, I think. And I also think it's really important to get the message out there and also to show them the facilities and the different types of facilities. You know, I'm, I'm a bit of a data centre geek, I guess. I like looking at different designs and different facilities and some of them are you know they're amazing you know you get ones that are shaped as a pyramid ones ones that are underground you know ones that are 12 stories high all that types to an architect or to a graduate or to someone at university is obviously a lot more exciting than the concept that it is a shed you know i don't i think that is changing now and hopefully it's changing in the you know with with the universities as well but if we can get across that it's going to be i quite an exciting industry for people to get into yeah definitely yeah okay i've really enjoyed that chat um i think we covered quite a lot of quite a lot of topics like i always seem to on on this just goes from one to the next but there's just one question i asked before um before i let you get on with your day but if there's one piece of advice you could give to anyone looking to work in the data center industry what would it be um one piece of advice um or two, I would say one. But. <laughs> um, I, I think for me is, um, you know, don't don't shield your your, your knowledge. It's, it's an industry that's growing very fast. 
Um, it, I, I think, in my opinion, it's all about, you know, knowledge sharing. So, you know, uh, accommodate mentoring, knowledge sharing. Um, there's new technologies out there. Um, if you know about BIM or VR or, you know, these kind of things, um, share, share your knowledge because, you know, it can help someone. And uh, that's 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 what what's what it's all about. And I think I think for me personally, you know, even though I'm a studio director, I never think about peer levels. You know, it's, you know, I can sit with a part one and behave like a part one, or sit with a, a junior architect, yeah, you know, and behave like a junior architect. So I think it's all about you know knowledge sharing, and uh, we, we're kind of all in this together, sort of thing. Yeah. No, I definitely totally agree, and I'm sure. I'm assuming you're happy for people to reach out to you if they uh, if they have any questions or need any advice. Yeah, no, yeah, definitely. You know, I'm um, open, open doors. <laughs> oh, yeah. Not not too many to mentor, though. You've got enough on your plate. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, thanks for your time today. So I really enjoyed that conversation. I think it's great to get an idea of you know what it's like and from an architect's perspective, but also to touch on your. The mentoring side of it because i think like you do that it's really important that more people are mentoring the younger generation and, and people looking to join the sector so i really appreciate your time and um hopefully we'll catch up again soon yeah great no andy thanks for for having me yeah and looking forward to the the, the podcast yeah a- absolute pleasure cheers mohammed all right take, take care, care.